Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. What's up? I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of comics that have come out this week. Let's we kick sure it do with a big one. Green Arrow number one from DC Comics, written by Joshua yeah. Williamson, art by Sean Isaacs. This is spinning directly out of the Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths event, which apparently... Uh, ended with Green Arrow being lost in the universe, something that, frankly, I completely forgot happened. How dare you forget that? How dare you? But the rest of the Green Arrow family is on the hunt trying to find him. By the end of the book, we, the readers, have found him along with another long-missing character, but there's still a lot of mysteries to unravel. Pete, this is the one and only time I'm going to say this. You're a big fan of Arrow on the CW. So, given you were a fan of that show, how'd you feel about Was that this? Green Arrow? I didn't yeah. realize it was short. Arrow was sort of short for Green you, Arrow. You didn't <laughs> notice how they made the Arrow green and the logo for Arrow? You didn't notice that? I guess huh. I should check it out. Yeah, yeah it's I a thought great it was TV about show. a talking dog going, Arrow! No, it's oh, about yeah. <laughs> salmon logical. ladders. I think the we show all is about that. salmon ladders and how if you conquer a sal- salmon ladder, you can conquer anything. Yeah. And the Flash... TV show is the Flash who runs fast in it. Mm. There's there's a whole bunch of TV shows on the CW that I guess are all about DC superheroes. They mm. they must be not very good. This is a fun bit that we're doing. About. Anyway, the comic <laughs> Pete's, uh, Pete's Arrow Quarter. <laughs> yeah, the comic. I, I thought it was a really funny start. The fact that he's upset that he's stranded on an island again, and then realizes it's a lot crazier than he thought. Yeah, I thought this was a badass first-ish. Loved all the action. Loved the family and the love story stuff. Uh, Badass chainsaw arrow reveal. Crazy Mm. last panel. Cool art style. I mean, uh, there was some great splash page action in this. I I thought it gave us a little bit of everything. I was super excited about it. I think Joshua Williamson, uh, one of my favorite writers, uh, is really great at telling big adventures, like large-scale, wide-lens stuff. And it's great to find Green Arrow lost and seeing his journey uh, back. Well, also, we're getting a couple of sidekicks who have very different uh, roles and positions in the world, in the DC Universe, trying to uh, work on that. I, I think yeah. it's a great start. This is definitely trying to position the Green Arrow family similar to the Batman family in my mind, which you absolutely dare you. How dare you? Oh, I'm sorry for giving a complimentary comparison between two different. How dare you? How dare you? You like the Batman family and you like the Green Arrow family too. Compare 
two families of similar well-off yeah, statuses that have people in costumes fighting crime. Justin, yeah. did I ever tell you about that time that Pete and I went on a pizza tour of the city and after I said that the first slice of pizza was, hey, pretty good, every time I tried to eat another slice of pizza, he just slapped it out of my hands. That's right. He's like, don't Pete, even try. Pete yeah. doesn't like comparing things. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Every case is different. And it's hard on a show where we literally compare comic books um, yeah. for uh, not a living, but a pastime, if nothing else. Yeah. For uh, passion. And But I will say I am in agreement with Pete on this, uh, Alex, because where's the butler? What are you thinking? <laughs> There's no butler here. That's well, issue two, <laughs> baby. Issue two, be, issue two. There, you're going to see some little tea sandwiches. Shoot it out a little oh. tea arrow, like a little Ooh. sandwich arrow. It's going to come a in there. Sandwich like, arrow sounds amazing. Oh, you gotta oh, be careful, oh shit! It's Harvey the Butler. Harvey. Harvey. Har- I would like it if this sandwich Harvey arrow was worth. <laughs> <laughs> Shot right in your Harvey Arrowsworth. Alfred Penny uh, whistle. The the thing with um, uh, an arrow butler Shooting would be food great. and arrows, you got to be careful. Well, an arrow say. butler is the person who goes to get all your arrows that you shoot. Mm. So, sir, I've retrieved your Can I actually say what I wanted to say about this book? So I think they're really doing a job. I expected this to be. (laughs) Based on the title being Green Arrow, I didn't expect a Green Arrow family title. I was very surprised, pleasantly surprised, I think, to see that. Because I do think Joshua Williamson has, like you're saying, these big ideas that he's putting out there for things. It's been funny to see him go almost the opposite direction with Superman, where Philip Kennedy Johnson is is blowing things out with the whole Superman family. And instead, I think laudably so, he's focusing squarely in on Clark Kent Cowell and seeing what's going on with him and really pushing him to the limit in an interesting way. This takes the opposite approach. This blows it out. You barely see Oliver Queen in this first issue here. That's my one quibble with it is I wanted more. Like, And I think that's a good place to leave you in the first issue. But... We ended a place where I was like, okay, we're finally getting to the story here. This is exciting. We've had this great setup, great characterization. I think Sean Isaacs, we haven't mentioned the art, but just like some really dynamic action throughout this book and wild landscapes, particularly with the alien world or wherever they are, the multiverse or whatever's going on. Um, So that's very cool. But at 20 pages, I was bummed out. I wanted... I wanted this to be like a double-sized first issue because there's so many big ideas. It feels like Joshua Williamson's brain is exploding. I I need more, and I need it soon. That's fair. And honestly, given the time that's passed since um, we knew what happened to Oliver Queen, I would have liked to start on, like, him being lost first. And I Mm -hmm. think that would have helped what you're talking about if it gave us that sort of positioning first and then just widened out really fast to get all the other stuff then it would have been a, a maybe a little bit of an easier entree. Uh, but fun run, and I think uh, I'm excited to see where this goes. First-ish, we we're looking forward to more. Yeah, I think we're all universally looking forward to the next day. <laughs> wow. And uh, sadly, that's the last was, time we're going to mention the Arrow show on the CW. I, yeah, we uh, can't come back to that. And Pete, let me just say, can you never compare our opinions to each other's? Because that, that's not what this is about. We never oh, compare our different opinions. So don't say we're universal. We each have okay. our own separate podcast that just happen to be here together. <laughs> separate <laughs> running podcast. simultaneously. If, when you link them together, they somehow work out to be all Almost a conversation, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> Alien so number true. one 
From Marvel, written by Declan Shalvey, art by Andrea Bricardio. This is a pretty clean reboot of the Philip Kennedy Johnson run on Alien, which ran over a couple of different series. Here we are getting what is essentially the thing meets alien. It's an icy oh, planet. It is. It's an icy planet. Yeah, it's I like what you did there. Base. And there's this family who discover, not realizing it, a face hugger. There's a bunch of aliens uh, buried and frozen under the ice. Dude, and when I saw the face hugger, I was like, Oh God. Yeah. Nah, Cause you uh, know, this what is good. Is. Like after the big mythology stuff of Philip Kenny Johnson's run, I'm happy to just get like back to a, nasty bottom, like exactly what you expect from an alien book. And I think they nailed that. Yeah. I love using uh, <laughs> real using nasty bottom. <laughs> nasty yeah, I don't know why you said nasty bottom, but uh, I was just going to skip right over that. I think that's one of those Alex. It's say. like an Alexism. It's you don't what he have said. to share like, that you're a bottom. I mean, thank you for doing it, but it's okay. I don't know uh, what that's hey, got to do anything. Fuck you. I'm a nasty bottom. Oh, yeah, exactly. Get it right. Nasty <laughs> bottom. I feel I thought that's a British thing you read on a British candy bar. That's my butler. My butler is uh, Reginald Nasty Bottom. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know you knew Nasty Bottom. Uh-huh. That was um, uh, my Scottish ancestors fought oh. against the Nasty Bottoms. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, so well this uh, the using ice i thought is very cool something uh, we at least i haven't seen in the alien franchise here very fun and the way that it uh just like alex is saying it's just straight up nasty bottom like you get in there and you and you just it's scary it's nasty it's bottom that's it Are you talking about when you have to climb down to the bottom of the, uh, the ice hole? Is that exactly. what you're saying? Yeah, the bottom okay. of the ice hole. That's yeah, what I'm talking where about. The, where the it's a nasty bottom. Of, it's got the ice hole. So scaling down uh, this kind of ice chute, you know, peak, to look let, for let me just aliens. say, I like that you're like, I'll make this better. I'll get us back on track. And then you said the word ice hole. <laughs> then you said ice hole. <laughs> That's the guy trying to fix it said ice hole. Just to say. <laughs> I'll say, look, Alex is literally sick to his stomach. He's laughing so hard. (laughs) He's going to vomit. The other thing I will say is I like how this book also puts all the alien stories in the continuity. And we've done a nice time dash forward here. It's great. Yeah. Um, It's got a kind of a clean uh, look to the art, which was nice. Yeah, I I will say to get it back on track a little bit for myself. Don't try. Uh, Don't try. Uh, no, no, no. Just but walk uh, away. Declan Shalvey, I was a little bummed to not see him on art because his art is so awesome, and I was really looking forward to like, oh, I, for a second I thought Declan Shalvey drawing Alien that would be rad, but crushes it in terms of the writing. Andrea Brocardio's art, like we we're talking about. Very sparse but detailed with the ice, and particularly the repeated close-ups of these aliens under yeah. the ice, just give it a sense of tension throughout. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean those the 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 tension of the last couple of panels where the ice is melting seems dumb, but it's it's so well done. It's so tense. <laughs> seems dumb. Yeah. Why? Well, I'm seems just like showing stupid. ice melt. It's like, are yeah. you serious? In a comic battle, we're just looking at ice, yeah. but like you must it's hate pulled spring. off really well. Also, Alex, uh, you know, we got a little. We mentioned on the live show that we want to get the colorist and the. Uh, anchor in there. Do we want to shout those out uh, while we got a chance here? <laughs> sure, go ahead, Pete. I didn't write them down. 
Oh, oh, my bad. I I thought you had them and you no, uh, and I've been oh. withholding them this entire time. Well, wow. you were like, "There's only so much time." I didn't. Uh, I apologize. I no, I, I, just to bring this up, if in case anybody didn't listen to the live show, which is entirely possible. So obviously, we're we're. Shouting out here, the writer and artist, that's not the entire part of the team. There's also the letterer, there's the colorist, there's the inker, there's the editors, there's all these people. The staple sorry, guy. Uh, every time I run down this list, I'm like, ah, I should throw them on there, and I should, but there's a limited amount of time in the day in order to write this stuff, and I think it's easy shorthand to call out the writer and artist. We are not yeah. great to be like straight up front about it. We're not great about calling out the Keller and Inks in the same well, way on this but podcast. That's ev- so like it's not just us. The comic industry yeah, in general sure. is is that way, and we're sort of continuing a not great tradition. But and honestly, I feel like a real asshole for doing it. <laughs> 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 well, before we work our way all the way to the nasty bottom of that ice hole, why don't we move on to Blue Beetle Graduation Day number six from DC Comics, yeah. written by Josh Trulio, art by Adrian Gutierrez. This is the end of this mini series about Blue Beetle, but good news. They're spinning it right off into a ongoing series with the same team that's going to be kicking off Sweet. later this year. Yeah. Based on this series. That's great news, I think. Great news. I, I definitely uh, think so. I I thought this was such a great arc. I love the ending. Love the, uh, the the art and design. It was just really really cool. Very touching ending. I was very moved. I loved it. I also liked the uh, Starfire uh, character design on this. I've seen mm. uh, that character done many different ways, and I thought this was very cool. Yeah, th- uh, this story was fun. Um, it got a little convoluted in the middle i felt like and this issue like pete's saying had sort of an emotional um core at its end i like the idea almost like a passing of the torch that superman is like saving blue beetle and also sort of saying like good job you're a real hero which is great and you've got the movie coming out it feels like this is a nice sort of like uh handing uh putting the crown on this uh jaime reyes blue beetle and let's go forward Star Wars, Darth Vader, Black, White, and Red, number one from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, Peach Momoko, and Torin Gronbach. Art by Leonard Kirk, Peach Momoko, and Klaus Jansen. As with all of these types of collections, there are three stories that are told in only using blacks, whites, and reds. And the first story by Jason Aaron and Leonard Kirk is going to continue over the course of the series, while the others are one-shots. Pete, I know you're pretty big, big ups on this one. What'd you think? Yeah, I really love this. I was blown away by this. Uh, We've seen a lot of great stuff with uh, Marvel and Star Wars, a lot of heavy hitters being put on these projects. And I was just super impressed with the first story and the way it kind of led into then the second story, which was a real shift. It was like a fever dream. Uh, It was this great moment where it was like, you know, you got Darth Vader, big, tough, evil guy. And then all of a sudden it's like Padme. And he's like, what did you say? And then all of a sudden, like, cut to like Padme fever dream, which was such a cool idea that I thought was like so well executed. I love the shift in art style and everything that kind of happened in this. It was such a cool journey to go on. And I was just really impressed with the team and the way they were to pull this off. 
artistically, it was just such an achievement. And uh, we've seen so many Star Wars stories. Uh, to be su- surprised and blown away still is just such a great, great thing uh, that they're doing. So I was just super impressed. Well, and to have uh, Darth Vader stories that we like, we know this character from literally he was a kid till the end of his life. So like we've yeah. seen to beyond. We've so, seen like, it. We've seen it. So like to be able to tell compelling stories that um, where Darth Vader's life's in danger, it, we know he's not going to die uh, because of the Star Wars universe. So that's a hard task. And I think these are really great stories. The first one where um, this uh, there's a trap that is laid for Darth Vader and we see the human core of Anakin reached like we see in the Star Wars movies, you know, Luke's whole journey is to get is the yeah. humanity out of Darth Vader. And in this, that humanity is touched for a nefarious reason, which I thought was a really cool twist on the Darth Vader, uh, nice guy underneath all that uh, junk. That was cool. The Pete Ramoko thing I thought was just such a oh. standout, such a great story, oh. worth it. And I love the idea of just an anthology comic where one story continues and then we get two additional standalone uh, stories each issue. The Last Kids on Earth and their superhero alter egos are back in the latest installment of the graphic novel spinoff series, The Last Comics on Earth, Too Many Villains. Jack, June, Quint, and Dirk face their biggest challenge yet, creating the sequel to their hit graphic novel in a mad dash, puzzle-filled race across Apocalyptia to stop the biggest evil plan in history. Hey, you know what the creators of Last Comics on Earth's evil plan is? Make me and my kids love these books. Seriously, my younger kid is a huge fan of both the Last Kid series and the Last Comic series. It's true. And now I'm hooked too. The whole team has created a delightful cast of characters with some fantastic kid-friendly art throughout that will appeal to readers of all ages. Buy your copy of The Last Comics on Earth in stores today. You can also visit lastkidsonearth.com to learn more. Great stuff. Action Comics 1054 from DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Dan Jurgens, and Dorado Quick. Art by Max Rayner, Dan Jurgens, and Yasmin Flores Montanez. The front story is continuing Metallo's family versus the Superman family. Then we're getting two backups here, one focusing on the Kents on the farm, and yeah. then the last one focusing on steel, building up steelworks. Pete, yeah. take it away. You seem pretty psyched about that first story. You yeah, keep talking just, about this. This is just such a great package. You get three really great stories. The The first one with Metallo, just so intense, um, and then just kind of like, just some real oh shit moments in this that were really kind of crazy and amazing. And then just Superman kind of rising above it all and trying to help out Metallo's uh, wife. I was just like, holy shit, what an amazing dude. I would never fucking do that. Uh, but just super <laughs> impressed with uh, what they're trying to do. But also just like uh, the John Henry Irons uh, story. Uh, the, I just love the third one. It was such a cool classic kind of like villain out. Ending with the last panel, like, oh, we'll meet soon type of fun kind of stuff. So I felt like when the second story had this kind of like cool kind of like tone to it, this kind of home again thing with the Kents. uh, I just think, uh, you know, you're getting three amazing stories in one here and they're doing such a great job with all three. And it's uh, continually impressive that the last couple of issues have been really impressive. Yeah, I agree. I think this is 
like we were talking about, I think, um, on maybe on the live show, how the Superman, uh, there are two books, one with sort of a wide look at uh, all the Superman family, and then one that's focused very much on so it was earlier on in this podcast. Uh, we, do <laughs> we do a lot of yeah, podcasts. We do a lot of podcasts, yeah. But uh, the way that, I mean, Pete, Superman literally says, anyone would help out a guy in trouble like you, Metallo. And that didn't resonate with you? You're like, nope. Well, not the guy who's currently trying to fuck you. Yeah. I mean, you know, someone who's in trouble separately. But, yeah, the fact that he's like goes from trying to murder him and has horrible plans to then immediately like, well, let me help you, sir, was very impressive. (coughs) But uh, excuse me. Sorry. I was just going to say that's the whole point of Superman, right? Like the whole point of Superman is. He's the guy who would do he's that. He than, believes. Yeah. Well, he's better than everybody. He believes everybody would do that. And so we as readers look at that and think, wait, should we be doing that? We should be doing that, right? If Superman's doing that, it's it's not a all or one where you read a Superman comic and you're like, yes, now I'm Superman just like him. But it is hopefully this slow push towards helping our fellow man that is the whole point of reading Superman comics. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. And it's tricky too, because it's like some people read it and then walk away with a different message. You know, it's a, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Some people walk away and they're like, I want to raise my metal family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm on the metal family side. Uh, I like the, also the, the second backup uh, with uh, focusing on um, a young uh, John Kent, I think is great. Really enjoying that. Yeah. The art on that, I, which is by Lee Weeks, I think, who we talked about uh, also in the live show. Really cool. And then I sort of miss the super, um, the uh, Power Girl story that we, mm-hmm. that ended last mm-hmm. issue. But I'm looking forward to the Steel story coming up. Sins of Sinister, Dominion, number one from Marvel, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Paco Medina and Lucas Werdeck. Now, we reviewed the first issue of this and then I think mostly skipped the miniseries in the middle. Um, But this is wrapping up the storyline. I was very curious to check this out, having only read the first issue and then jumping to the last one. To be honest, like... There's a lot of stuff that I didn't quite understand that was going on, but mm-hmm. I had a blast reading this at the same time. Oh, that's Just cool. because it was so wildly over the top. There were so many insane ideas here. The way that Kieran Gillen writes Mr. Sinister is so funny. And the yeah. ending of this is so much darker than I expected. Um, I thought it was great. I agree. I, I liked the all of that stuff that you said. Uh, I feel like this is almost like the Jason Aaron Avengers for the X Men, uh, oh. where it's like mashing up a bunch of stuff. It's really long, uh, long tail, like extending into a thousand years. Right, is over. It happens over the course of this run. But I gotta say something that maybe Pete will like. I'm ready for a simple X Men story. Like <laughs> I, and again, I like this, but. The X universe is so dense and so chaotic, and I know we have Fall of X coming, but I just want a nice, fun baseball game at Gray Malkin Lane. Give me something <laughs> to hold on to here. Ooh, you it's just lost bit. Pete. Pete hates the baseball games. He doesn't like them at all. I bet he'd yeah. go for a baseball game now. And I guess I could go for I could go for a, a palate cleanser. That's for sure. Uh, I just think it's one of those things where this is kind of silly and over the top fun in this issue. You know, you get, you know, spoilers, but you got this Sinestro like planet uh, reminded me of the Unicron back in the day a little bit where uh, it was Sinister, just. But yeah. 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 And so it was just like 
really crazy and over the top, but it's it's things have gotten too weird on Fuck Island, and I really just I don't mean to sound like a broken record, and I, I don't mean to keep hitting the same thing over and over again. But you know, I'm, wow. I'm looking forward to uh, us moving on in the X Men uh, world. <clears throat> Jordan D White making different choices in your life, <laughs> and so I'm hoping that uh, you know we'll get we'll get more, and eventually we will. You just got to live long enough. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, good, good luck with that. Uh, I I just want to mention one other thing. I totally hear what you guys are saying, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but this has been very fascinating for me to watch. My son, who is yes. eight years old, is obsessed with this Sins of Sinister crossover in particular. Like, he talks about it constantly. He begs me, like, not begs me, but he's like, he's when's, a the, sinner. when's the next? That's why. What? Nothing. No, what'd you say? What the <laughs> fuck did you say? Uh, anyway, he keeps asking. He's like, talks to me about the schedule. He's like, well, on Wednesday, Storm of the Brother of Mutants is coming out. And then next week, Nightcrawler's number three is coming out. And well, that's year 1000. And the entire time, legitimately, I'm like, this is one of the most unhinged things they have not just done in X-Men, but all of Marvel Comics. I have, I do not understand why you like this so much. So I've been trying to like think about it, understand it, and the thing that I've come back to that maybe we talked about, but maybe we haven't. But I'll mention here again anyway is the first thing that I read with X Men was Fall of the Mutants, like coming mm. in and being like there coming are in yeah uh, there are like all of these things that are disparate. It's an event, but it's with each different. Uh, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I, it was Mutant Massacre was the first thing. Right. Where it was just like the Marauders. I don't know who these people are. They're killing the Morlocks. I don't know who the Morlocks are. But this is like yeah. everybody is at the top of their angsty X-Men-ness and just everything. All the ideas are so arch and so big and everything is so harrowing and terrible. Like that was the thing that made me X-Men fan for life. Like from those first several issues where I was like, I, I need to read all of this. I need to understand all of these characters. Yeah. And but what are you saying though? Are you saying that you're worried about what's going to happen to your son? Because he's like, he is that uh, a couple of decades down the road. He'll be hooked. hosting a semi-successful comic book <laughs> podcast. Potentially. Uh, the I mean, main thing he's is definitely, so, we're, we're going to have a legacy. Uh, what I'm, no, 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 no. He's not, it's going to go the other way because this isn't a good enough event as that one was. No, he, so here's the thing. He loves Sins of Sinister. We took out Immortal X-Men, the first volume, which precedes this from the library. He's very interested to check out House of X. We also at the library got that, like, X-Men animated version of House of X, House of 92. Um, No, no, I I don't give him the stuff in advance. We'll pick it up at the comic book shop on Wednesday. But that's expanded into now Mm. he's watching X-Men, the animated series, and obsessed with that and watching it all the time. And And my point is... Yeah, he was like, oh, there was one thing I really didn't like about the first episode. I was like, Morph dying? Oh, and yeah. he's like, yeah. Yeah, nobody <laughs> but, liked that. Yeah. But all of this stuff, this is a very long way of saying, is I do think there is something about the X-Men, even this era, and I understand what you're saying, Pete, in terms of not liking this stuff. And Justin, you're like, I'm ready to move to something simpler, and I get that. But there's something in terms of the complex nature of the X-Men that gives something to everyone that... yeah. 
if you are the person that has a predilection towards liking those things to begin with, the theory that I'm sort of coming up with based on my experience and my son's experience and other people's experience is it isn't even necessarily like the sense of other with the X-Men that maybe you pick up later on so much as there's literally every power you could dream of. They're all at the height of emotions at all times. <laughs> like this is the biggest thing that's happened to their lives ever that just hooks you. And yeah, I don't know. It's a good, it's a good gateway drug to the rest of comics. Huh? I, I want to, I want a wider case study than just you and your son, but I, I don't that's think interesting so. I think philosophy. that's enough of a sample set. Pete. And uh, just I, to be clear, I, I, based on what Pete said, your son's name is Sinner Zalbin. <laughs> yes. Yes. And uh, when he was born, I jabbed a, a red diamond into his head. Smart. That's a cool, cool. thing, right? I was like, hey, real diamond. quick, while while the... Uh, it's better than putting a shark tooth in, in their back, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I asked the doctor, though. I was like, while the head is soft, that's the best time to put in the red diamond. Yep. He was like, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of Smart. people jam like coral or different things, jelly beans into their kids' coral. soft heads. Smart. Coral. Uh, deep Cuts, <laughs> number one from Image Comics, written by Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark, art hey. by Danilo, Danilo Beirut. This is the beginning of a mini series, but it looks like it's going to be a series of one shot stories that explore the world of jazz and music. Here, yeah. we're going back to a kid who really wants to be a clarinetist, I believe, oboe. I, I'm not 100% sure. Um, whatever yeah. it is, he, he wants to play music Clarinet. and he wants to write music. There's no sci-fi twist. There's no vampires. It's not like vampires in New Orleans. It's just straight up a music story. That's it. Pete, you're clapping. This stack seems made for you, but take it no, away. No, this was great. I, I love this. Uh, first off, the art style is really great. It's got this fun, old-timey feel to it. It's deep cuts is about music, which is really great. And they also have art that looks like album covers and stuff like that. So it's this really cool, interesting combination of music and history. And we're kind of getting the story of this kid who's trying to break into the music game and the trials and tribulations, but also just does, I think, a good job of capturing New Orleans and kind of like that feeling and uh, the way music is just kind of playing in the streets. And it's just very cool the way the ear that the main character has to kind of find somebody. You know, he's not using the Google Maps and shit. He's just listening to music. Uh, I just thought it was very creative and very cool. It takes place in the past. That's right. And also just like, you know, they also have like the songs and stuff in the back, uh, in the back matter. So just a a lot of uh, bang for your buck in this issue. You know, I mean, we read a ton of stuff about superheroes and scary shit. And so just getting like a an issue about music that also kind of uh, looks like an album cover. I was just like, yeah, this is different and cool. And uh, yeah, uh, high nostalgia factor. So, yeah, I really yeah. I thought it from was your really... time on the streets of New Orleans playing clarinet. <laughs> um, well, I recently was in New Orleans. Thank you for bringing yeah. this up. And uh, I tell you, the streets are alive and it's worth going down there just to kind of walk amongst the people. And uh, it really does feel special out down there. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing scarier than a career in the arts. So I think this is truly a, a horror story. But I'm curious, when is the clarinet going to bond with his spine and become a suit of armor and he joins the Massiverse? Is that yeah, happening yeah. in the next issue? Let's hope so. Yeah, Fingers I think issue two. Issue two. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Really great art. Uh, great story. Well done characters uh, across the board. And I mean, the, 
the end of the book, I, 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 wanna, I don't want to spoil it, but I was surprised who our hero ends up just playing with. Yeah, was like, that was wow, crazy. Quite a turnaround. Oh, yeah, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't want to say. Uh, we'll see what happens. Really enjoyed yeah, book. it's good. I spent the entire issue expecting an image comic style twist uh, with something weird going to be happening. So if you want, don't expect that. It's not going to yeah, happen. Just enjoy it for what it is. Or expect it to be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best way to live. Uh-huh. Unstoppable cut, Doom Patrol cut. number two from DC Comics, written by Dennis Culver, art by Chris Burnham. And in this issue, the Doom Patrol is going on yet another mission to rescue a weird hero. Only what they don't know is this hero has been sent by Peacemaker, who is trying to infiltrate the Doom Patrol and take them Uh. down on the orders of Amanda Waller. There's some twists and turns throughout this, paired with some absolutely stunning Chris Burnham art throughout. Uh, Pete, again, take it away. Well, yeah, I mean, Pete's deck. Super tight bananas Well, don't worry. We're we're getting to some Justin stuff in a second. Yeah, yeah. I'm not feeling neglected. I like what Pete gets to talk. Uh, Yeah, this is just... Uh, the art is just so creative and amazing. There's like this splash title page where it's like the underground map of the shelter. That's so cool. Uh, you know, Cliff gets to throw an exploding person. I mean, just awesome adventure and action and just really unbelievable art. And the Doom Patrol is so weird and silly. Like this is just such a cool world. And then like putting uh, Peacemaker is kind of the uh, first kind of villain into a bigger villain kind of scheme. Uh, very interesting and, and creative choice. So I'm excited to see how these clash and how this all works out. Cliff throwing that dude was very sad, I thought. Uh, hit oh, really? me a little bit. Yeah, when was he died, the guy. Yeah, uh, but, yeah, it, but it, it was, it seemed like the show was just a husk, you know what I mean? The worm was really working, the, working things, you know what I mean? No, I think that was a person. Well, out of context, that's the weirdest possible thing <laughs> yeah. you could have said. Dude's a husk, man. The worm's working things. What? Yeah. <laughs> that's like, you sound like a conspiracy theorist, man. The worm's working things. Yeah, uh, the only thing I could think reading this issue and the last issue was, this is like the new X-Men of Doom Patrol. And it yeah. maybe is uh, Chris Burnham's, uh, who uh, didn't work on new X-Men, but did work on uh, the Wolverine um, run where he was, uh, right? Yeah, uh, where he was the um, leader of the X-Men. So this feel, feels very much like uh, plussing up the Doom Patrol a little bit, making them a little younger, a little faster, a little like turning the page on them. So that that was cool. I think it works. Doctor Strange, number two for Marvel, written by Jed McKay, art by Pascal Ferry. This is continuing the adventures of... Strange, who is back alive with Clea. Here, they investigate a mystery involving some kids and what they think is being caused by Nightmare. It is pointing, in fact, to a bigger conspiracy going on. Justin, I know you love this one, so take it away. I'm a Jed head. Jed McKay, the writer on oh, this. So, uh, th- and this, These first two issues, they feel like standalone stories, but I think we're laying some clues that are going to eventually point to a larger problem that Doctor Strange is going to have to confront. I really like the way that um, when they get into the uh, Nightmare universe, uh, he and Clea are challenged by sort of their fear aspects, and the way they solve it is by flipping and taking on each other's like a great couple should. Uh, but uh-huh. I, I also think 
some of the thematic things, it seems like Doctor Strange is grappling with the fact that he's died so many times. He's sort of spread too thin and is maybe out of touch with huma- his humanity. And uh, maybe a relationship with Clea maybe is going to sort of bring him back a little bit. I, I'm curious how Let's it's going to so. play out. Yeah. Yeah, I did like having both Stranges in this. Uh, also, the art style is interesting because it's like tripped out, but it's also clean, which yeah. is a cool yeah. choice. I uh, Yeah, I was just super impressed with this as a package. I also sucker anytime Moon Knight shows up. That's very exciting. But yeah, I just felt like this was a cool, cool book that uh, doesn't disappoint. It really feels like the characters. So yeah, I was just really impressed with the art style and the storytelling. And I'm interested to see what happens. I like that uh, that Doctor Strange, Moon Knight's like, well, you know, Doctor Strange doesn't like me. And then they talk. And he's like, I know you don't like me, but I am here. I am a Moon Knight. And uh, yeah. like it was such a like high school hang between those two, which is very funny. The Neighbors, number two for Boob Studios, written by Jude Ellison S. Doyle, art by Leticia Cadonici. This Let me just is slide back for a, the mic here. <sighs> this is following a family that has moved to a small town where, as you can probably guess from the title, there's something weird with the neighbors. And in fact, the cliffhanger of the last issue was that something happened to one member of the family. We follow up on that more in pretty horrific ways. This issue, this also seems to be a not so subtle trans uh, metaphor for trans issues, given that one of the main characters is trans and going through trans therapy currently. So there's some very fascinating pointed body horror stuff going on at the same time. I am equally, in equal measures, fascinated by this book and terrified by this book. Yeah, this book, the the neighbor and the way she interacts with the older uh, kid and then in this issue, the younger kid, is scary. There's like repetition. Uh, there's some frog stuff. There's like the – and the way it's drawn and uh, like you get jump scares. Like it's really hard to draw a jump scare. And it's it mm-hmm. works in here, um, and that like you're saying, coupled with the transition uh, characters and the and the issues that they're facing, I, I'm curious how it's going to wrap up these the metaphors here, uh, because it's a you know that's uh, to put it in a, as a horror metaphor feels a little bit scary uh, just to be reading this. So I'm curious how it's going to be played, but um, it, I've been really enjoying these first two issues. Yeah, I just was really freaked out by the scariness of this. I mean, that cover, I was like, oh, my God, no, this is too creepy. And then the whole frog thing and the old lady and then the, like, fucked up stuffed animal and then her teeth with all the shit in it. I was there is just way too many, like, horror story things in here for me. You know, so it's terrible. well, uh, and we know, should mention Pete is a dentist for his day job, so yeah. that's the most terrifying <laughs> thing for you. I can't believe uh, we don't talk about that more. The fact that Pete's a dentist. <laughs> it doesn't come up. It's weird it doesn't uh, come Pete up. Pete is actually profession. both of our dentists. Yeah. Oh, I know. Would be, uh, it's so hard for him to clean our teeth because we're always jibber jabbering whenever time we go in. <laughs> I, I, would, I have a hard time being the dentist. I feel like I'd be on the laughing gas too much. You would use the gas constantly? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that's the plot of Little Shop of Horrors, Pete. Yeah, I know anyway, exactly book, my point. Speaking of horrors, is great if you're looking for a new horror book. Let's move on and talk about Lazarus Planet: Revenge of the Gods, number four from DC Comics, written by G. Willow Wilson, Becky Cluden, Michael W. Conrad, and Josie Campbell. Art by C. and Torme, Aletha Martinez, and Caitlin Yarsky. This is, excuse me, wrapping up the Revenge of the Gods storyline, which has found Hera and the wizard Shazam taking on the Shazamily and also the Wundamily. That's what they call right? The yeah. woman family. Yeah, yeah. sure. Anyway, uh, this wraps that up and it also kicks off the next era of Shazam. What did you think about this issue? This Lazarus thought- Planet event. Will not die. I got to think this is the last issue of it. Uh, but I've been I've said that before and I've been wrong. Uh, this is a I like the story, though. I, I think it's good. It just feels there was not a lot of uh, connection The the two. The backup story was just like sort of run into. And it was a little bit confusing as we sort of drifted from one to the other. But I like the sort of final story that set up um, the Marvels for sort of their next version of how their powers work. Yeah, I uh, this first off like really cool covers. Uh, I love the the start of this where we get kind of in this giant battle, um, you know, Hera fighting with Wonder Woman Shazam. This is just great stuff. Love the second story and the third story. The young Shazam st- uh, kind of story was great. So I felt like this is a great package. Amazing art. Yeah, I I enjoyed this crossover a lot more than I thought I would, and I think that is a credit to the entire creative team that was involved. But the best stuff for me, which I think we've been liking all along, is the Josie Campbell, Caitlin Yarsky, Shazam yeah. stuff, particularly when it comes to Mary Marvel, has been great. The new status quo for Mary Marvel makes so much sense and is yeah. very fun, and I'm glad they ended up at that. Um, if that was the whole point of the crossover, great. I'm, I'm nice. happy to see it out there, and I want to see more from this team. Avengers Beyond, number two for Marvel, written by Derek Landy, art by Greg Land. In this issue, we're continuing the story of the Beyonder messing with the Avengers in order to teach them lessons, while a big enemy who wants to kill the Beyonder is on his way to Earth. Another very fun issue of this book. Yeah, squeezing yeah. out more. Welcome to Landy Land, because uh, this is a fun package, like yeah. Pete always yeah. says. That's his catchphrase, That uh, <laughs> where we combine uh, the Avengers in, in, in new iterations with a new threat that feels both um, original, but also using a bunch of characters, or uh, beyond or anyway, that we've seen plenty. Uh, so I like this. Yeah, I think the the art style is very kind of like sexy, cool looking, and the sexy, uh, very sexy, oh, man. very sexy. I was you know, so I, turned on by this book, I can't even <laughs> tell you. Yeah, it was I, like a I real nasty think, bottom right in the ice. You know what I'm talking about? Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> uh, I I didn't draw this, anyways. Uh, I loved having Blade in here. Um, yeah, this continues to be a lot of fun, and uh, I want more. If Blade popped up anywhere, you'd be like, ooh, Blade. Blade's here. Ooh, <laughs> hey, Blade popping by. I got to watch those movies at some point. Blue Book number three oh. from Dark Horse Comics. Oh, dude, by James Tyler the fourth and Lottie Nadler. Art by Michael, Michael Avon Obi and of- Jenny Cha. What? 
I mean, you can the third one you don't have to watch, but the first two were glorious. We don't have time for this. We're talking about Blue Book, Pete. I've watched the second bo- half of Blade Trinity. Is that enough to make you happy? Nope. <laughs> no. I, I only watched That's a the weird choice. Ryan That's a Reynolds weird scene. choice. I only watched oh, the God. scenes of uh, Blade Trinity. Is that cool? I watched the Welcome <laughs> to Wrexham news coverage of their game, last game. Is yeah, they, they move it up, mm. man. I've seen, I've seen a picture of Wesley Snipes where they had to CGI his eyes so they looked like they were uh, open, open because he was asleep. Uh, in Blade Trinity, is that is that good enough? Hey, this is a fun bit. Can we talk about Blue Book? I, I use the phrase, some other fuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill <laughs> in casual parlance. Does that mean I've seen Blade? Well, it's a it's a great turn of phrase, that's for sure. Do you think Mahershal Ali is going to drop that into the Blue Blade movie? <laughs> I hope so. Oh, my God, that'd be great. Do you think they're going to bring back Steven Dorff for Mahershal Dorf? Uh, you the, can't Dorf do this Blade movie without Dorff. Dorf on Blade? Dorf on Blade. Well, Blue Book, what'd you think, Pete? Here's the thing. I love Blue Book. This this yeah, this, is this book is great. Uh, the art style, very um, minimalistic, uh, nice, clean, sort of like Michael Avon Oming uh, in style. Uh, really enjoying this. Um, oh, it is Michael Avon Oming, so that makes a yeah, lot of sense. It's, it's very much in, a, in the style of a Michael <laughs> Avon Oming type. <laughs> uh, but I, I think this story is, uh, it feels like a great X-Files episode. Um, it's really like spare and it's uh, tense. We don't know what's going to happen. And with the tease at the end of this issue into the next one is uh, exciting. Yeah, but there's no Skulder... Uh, you know, there's no Skulder. like Skulder, Skulder, or Mully. <laughs> yeah, Skulder, Mully, sexual tension. You know what I mean? There's no, uh, you know, that's you part can of add that. Suspicion. You can just think yeah. that Mulder and Scully. Uh, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I think this was a cool uh, idea. The art's the real uh, hero here, uh, but uh, it's creepy because it feels real, and uh, that freaks me the fuck out because UFOs and aliens are real. What did you think about the backup <laughs> story, which paralleled the French Revolution with a guy who can't stop eating snakes? This was weird. Because it, it kept telling the French Revolution stuff and then barely referenced it to dudes just eating stuff the whole time. I was like, what are we, what are we getting at here? I mean, I think there's a pretty clear metaphor going on with the story. But at the same time, it didn't Let feel them like eat it snake? fit. Let, Let them, them eat, eat snakes. snakes. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, when she was saying that, she wasn't actually talking about snakes. She was talking about the – no, I can't go with this. Oh, anymore. wow. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, anyway, this is a good book. Backup story is a little weird in this one, but at the same time, I'm very into it. The Riddler Year One, number four from DC Comics, written by Paul Dano, art by Stephen Subic. In this issue, we are going back in time to see the Batman – meaning the movie, the Batman's version of the Riddler back in the orphanage. We're getting a lot of fill-in information here that we heard about in the movie. We're finding out more about. Um, I still really like this. I love how this book is together. I think Stephen Subic's art is phenomenal in the best vertigo tradition, as we've mentioned multiple times. But this is the one issue I felt like I didn't need because I kind mm-hmm. of knew it from the movie. It's good, but this is the one that felt most like a 
movie tie-in to me. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I think it did, but it was well done. I liked um, some of the little elements. The the art is fantastic, like we said, but like the way that uh, Tiny Riddler spells out um, stuff in blocks, I thought was cool. The whole blocks thing was so creepy. Did you guys figure out the last page? Yes, I did. Yeah. What are you saying? And P, if you if you don't know, I'm happy to um, help you figure it out. Yeah, why don't you share with everybody? Yeah. <laughs> Tip of the hat. Tip of the hat. Tip of the yeah. hat. You're you're happy to help me figure out what it is. That's what I said. I said help you. Uh, okay. You know what I mean. So you can. Yeah. Yeah. Tip of the hat. Yeah, uh, I just I I just think this is <laughs> this is really creepy. You know. Uh, this is a creepy look at uh, a character who isn't always portrayed as creepy. So, um, you know, this is just a Bruce darker take on Wayne. Right? You're saying you'd mean the Jim Carrey version. You like you prefer that. There's no, there is plenty of other different kinds of Riddlers. I think, uh, you know, we don't have to. Me too. Yeah. No. Paul Danos and Jim Carrey's. Do no, you think? Do no. you think Paul Dano is like? I'm so tortured by the. We had play the a Riddler. great Riddler on our live show. If you guys remember, I don't remember that, and I don't think that happened. I think <laughs> there are. <laughs> I've always he said was, there's uh, two genders. There's Paul Dano as the Riddler, and there's <laughs> Jim Carrey yeah. as the Riddler. And each that's each it. human has uh, Jim Carrey Riddler and Paul Dano Riddler inside them, and whichever one you riddle. Is the one that you become. <laughs> and I love how the Jim Carrey one just You're... spins a cane a lot. It's very funny. <laughs> Jim, the Jim Carrey riddles are like, what has four legs and you eat on it? It's a table. Woohoo. It's like, <laughs> uh, I don't, it's not a riddle, man. Let's stick TV in our brains. That's, yeah. a, that's a very bad movie. Uh, this comic is very good. Why don't we move on and talk about Clobber in Time, number two, for Marvel, written by Steve Scroachy and art by Steve Scroachy as well. Scrooch. This is teaming up the thing with Wolverine. Uh, the thing is giving a talk on Krakoa. I, I uh, love that. And it's one of the funniest things that I've read in comics in a, a very long time, honestly. Uh, great. I love this is like uh, comics are so safe and a little bit like uh, and, and like sanitized so much. The, but the fact that we start here with the thing giving a guest lecture on Krakoa, already weird. He like makes a couple of missteps, sort of gets canceled-ish in a way, and then he has this great Reed Richards fix in the end, which I won't quite say. I thought that whole front end was – it was so funny and so interesting and weird and like sort of edgy, and then later on you get the thing body stuff that freaked me out. It made me like – the thing is just a big scab, and I don't like that. A rock scab. Yeah, yeah, that part was freaky, but I agree with what you said in the beginning that this is a – Cool, interesting take on it, and they're doing different stuff. So that part was very appreciated. And it's so funny to me, too, that I feel like Steve Scrooge barely cares about Wolverine in this book. Just total aside. He just gets wrecked. He just gets wrecked. Wolverine's there, and he immediately gets blasted. And by the end of the book, he's like, (laughs) just lying there, half his body gone. It's so funny. This book is so funny, and it's in the best tradition 
of Thing Marvel 2-in-1 team-up, which was one of my favorite books uh, when yeah. I was a yeah. kid. So day, yeah. it feels like that to the extreme with this hyper-realistic, not hyper-realistic, but like hyper-detailed Steve Scrochi art. I'm loving this series. Scrooge. I think it's great. It's so much fun. What's the furthest place from here? Number 12 from oh, Image boy. Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Tyler Moss. We're getting some big reveals of this issue about what is going on in the world of this book. Take it away, guys. This book, it, it's so good. It's so unsettling. Every issue is unsettling yeah. in different ways. Uh, everywhere they, uh, whatever character the, we're following, everywhere they go is scary. And it's a nightmare. Always, yeah, always little tricks and traps. It's a fucking nightmare come to life <laughs> and put into a comic. The, like, turn and face reveal fucking freaked me the fuck out. Like, oh, I it's, this is, it's just too scary, man. It's just too scary. This is so freaky, man. Yeah, there's a tonal fear. It's sort of it, only yes. certain things that I've ever watched. It's like Twin Peaks has it a little bit. Some like good horror movies have it where it's just unsettling throughout. And this book has that in a great way. We're also getting little uh, drips and uh, drops of the mythology sort of building out here and slowly expanding the world, meeting all these different families and whatnot. It's uh, fun, scary, and there's a core mystery here. Why do older people die, and what does that mean? Uh, and we're the, sort of getting close. The yeah. art is really unbelievable. I mean, absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. The Invincible Iron Man number five from Marvel, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Juan Frugari. In this issue, Iron Man is once again going mano a mano with Fei Long, who is the big villain of this series. Fei Long has said that he already basically owns the X-Men. So first, Iron Man is checking in with them. And then later on, he gets some bad news in terms of his inheritance from his father, which bodes bad, even badder news for what's coming for both the X-Men and Iron Man. What do you guys think about this issue? This book feels like it has like huge ramifications. This story feels like it's just setting up some big Marvel line Excuse, uh, bless Excuse me. Sorry. Um, let's cut out the sneeze. Sorry so it's I... just like a weird silence and we're like, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, I hope I didn't blow anybody's ears out there. Oh, I God, apologize. Pete. God, there's so oh, much now. snot on the camera and microphone. It's disgusting. You're like hey, the... ever since the pandemic, I've been really good at pulling my shirt up. You know what I mean? Uh, That's yeah, gross. Down That's your chest. very gross. Sneezing onto your <laughs> Do body. Do you just have like mucus crusted up and down your chest? Is that what's going on, Pete? No, I take showers. What the fuck are you talking about? Just oh, until right. you get to the shower, there's okay. a little like booger garden on your chest. <laughs> oh my God, no. <laughs> just a bunch of snot. The snot kingdom underneath your shirt. Hey, by the way, ladies, if I was sick, maybe single, uh, just a normal sneeze, guys, doesn't mean that you're going to have... Just Booger give it when everyone. you when you cug peek, keep a little distance for the snot to live its own way. Sorry, that's all. We'll, uh, I think we got to end the podcast. We got to edit all of this out. Yeah, no, yeah. end the podcast. But I was saying, uh, this it feels like these. There's huge ramifications here, and it feels tense. Like this villain is is good and seems to be handily yeah. destroying Tony Stark. Just constantly. Yeah. The the innovation and connection between Iron Man and the X-Men that happens in this issue, I thought was so smart. And I can't believe that it's one of those ideas that's right in front of your face. Yeah, we never. Years, yeah, I, I don't want to spoil it. I uh, But when I saw it, I was just like, oh, shit. Of course. Why did anybody think of this? That's so cool. It was really awesome to kind of see. Uh, 
But yeah, just uh, I agree. Just super cool villain. Uh, really kind of uh, interested to see the ramifications of what happens here. Uh, great art. What do you think the Tor- secret medal that um, Howard Stark found is? It's going to be like some other like adamantium adjacent thing, vibranium. I, I I guess so. I, at first, I thought it was adamantium, but based on the fact that they don't reveal it in this issue, it feels like it's Starkanium or some yeah. new Beskar. I think it's, like it's Beskar. No. Oh, Beskar. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, if you, when you bite into a crabberry cream egg, it's uh, some of that stuff that's in the metal there. That's oh, yeah. It. That's impenetrable. Yep. Torrent number two <laughs> from Image Comics, written by Mark Guggenheim, art by Justin Greenwood. In the last issue, our main character who had her husband killed and son attacked by her arch enemy has given herself up to the police. In this issue, she is finding out that it's not as easy as just opening up her identity and going to the police. She may have to take matters into her own hands. Pete, you love the Googs. You love heroes going nuts. What do you think about this? Yeah, this is just some crazy shit. I loved it. I mean, uh, super type bananas are love all the action. Uh, I love the fact of when she's talking like with us about the fact that she's using guns and stuff. Very cool. Uh, very fun dialogue to have. Uh, just uh, I love how unstable this is, too. It seems like anything can happen. But, yeah, just uh, I mean, that that whole. Yeah, I was there's a, there's a lot going down. And, and you know, I was just uh, really kind of like, oh, shit. Uh, so this was a very, very kind of like uh, just fun and can't wait for the next issue. This is very much like a Punisher War Journal story. And I think that's maybe why you liked it so much. We don't get a lot of comics these days where the main character is running narration basically the whole time. Yeah. And that's what this issue does. So that's cool. I like sort of that change. Uh, but otherwise... Yeah, you love I, getting inside their head, man. I want to be. I want to live rent-free yeah. in all these heads. You know what I'm talking about? Because I can't pay that much rent to be in all these different heads. I need to rent-free. Yeah, I mean, a you live in Brooklyn. That shit's expensive, bro. Expensive. So I need like rent, I need to live at least rent-stabilized in these people's heads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but as I was reading, I was like, Pete's going to like this because she talks about... She's using guns to just straight up decimate people and she's talking about how great it is to be using guns to decimate people Mary Jane and Black Cat number five from Marvel written by Jed McKay art by Vincenzo Carutu Carutu I'm sure anyway this is the last issue of this title which has sent Mary Jane and Black Cat to limbo to fight for the soul sword there's some twists there's some turns here Justin you're a Jed yeah Justin take take it away I'm a Jedhead. I'm all. I think McKay is okay, uh, especially in this writing Black Cat. Um, and Black Cat and Mary Jane, great combination. The fact uh, every issue in this series I thought was really great. The way we used Black Cat's powers and her awkwardness about that she's sort of dating Peter Parker while Mary Jane uh, is his ex, obviously. Like that was just great twist. This closes the story up with a nice, another great reveal. Um, And the thing that sort of got me a little bit is we end this issue where Mary Jane goes back to her family, her husband and two kids who aren't Peter Parker. And to see it, like in the main book, it's sort of like, oh, this is just part of the story. We'll see where this is going to end up. To see it happen here, I was like, this shit is real. And I don't know how we're going to move away from this when it comes to uh, Mary Jane and Peter ever getting back together. 
Pete, take it away. Alex, your thoughts? Yeah, I just think it's, uh, I'm glad that you're having fun, Justin. Uh, this is just a fucking nightmare scenario. Um, you must have you liked know. the Mary Jane action stuff and her powers. The- what are you talking about when they got swords and it was great? Yeah. Yeah, they got like demon happens. arms. Then she has to go back to her fake family. What the fuck, man? No, I'm not happy about any of that. That's a real family. And I think that's even more of a concern. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I disagree. Um, you know, you can, uh, whatever, man. I just, I think that uh, this is a fucking nightmare. And the fact that they're doing it in crossover stuff, too, just makes me fucking worried about what's going on. That's what I'm saying. It felt, it felt more real to see it in the crossover. It felt more real, yeah, because now you're seeing it in other books, and you're just like, come on, man, don't try to solidify a piece of shit move. It's like I heard about Alex's son Sinner, but when I met him, I was like, "This shit's real." Oh yeah, you're, you're yeah. the Sinner one, aren't you? Yeah, yes. yeah. Because you could by the red diamond on the forehead, you can tell. Yeah, absolutely. My son's a real nasty bottom. Indigo <laughs> Children number two from Image Comics, written Nothing by. Nothing to say Parr. on this one's Alps. Nothing. Okay. No, I like this. I think this is super fun. Uh, without, I mean, I will spoil it. I, this is a spoiler here. The solution that Mary Jane and Black Cat figure out with the Soul Sword is very fun. I think Jen McKay yeah. continues to craft these really enjoyable heist, twisty arcs that are just quippy. They feel like reading an Ocean's Eleven comic book, and that is true here. It's a good time. Indigo, okay. Indigo Children, number two, from Image Comics, written by Kurt Pyers and Rockwell White, art by Alex Diodo. We talked to Kurt Pyers about this a couple of weeks ago on the show, and I think we spoiled a little bit about the second issue here because we had read ahead on it. But this is the thing where things go wild. We found out about these indigo children that have some sort of powers here in this issue. We find out exactly or some of what those powers are about with some insane action sequences that are drawn phenomenally by Alex yes. Dioto. What do you guys think about this issue? Uh, this yeah. book has a lot of sort of real – it reminds me of – I think I made this comparison last time, the movie Chronicle. Uh, where it's these mm. like uh, heroes coming together uh, or they're super powered people. I shouldn't say they're heroes because I don't know. We don't know what they are. Really. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. Uh, it also reminded me of the sort of the rebooted Valiant universe where uh, mm. we got the mm. Arbinger series. This feels like sort of in that neighborhood. If you like that, this is a sort of a, an interesting comic that will pick that sort of theme, those themes up and take them in uh, fun in uh, different directions. Yeah, I was just super impressed with not only the art style, but the everything that went down in this issue. This was like a jam-packed issue. We finally got a lot of answers in this issue, which was great. Um, I loved what happened with the story after we got all the information. So I'm excited to see what happens with this character now that he has all the knowledge, like what's going to go down. So just, yeah, uh, exciting, action-packed issue. Uh, really fun. Captain America, Symbol of Truth, number 12 from Marvel, written by Taki Onyabuki, art by R.B. Silva. This is continuing the Cold War storyline, which is teaming up the two Captain Americas to take down Bucky, who has gone rogue as the revolution, as well as the entirety of Captain Bucky O'Hare, as well as the entirety of Dimension Z. Um, just to be clear, this is called Cold War because they're mostly in snowy places and mm-hmm. it's cold there. 
And it's not because they're croaking toads, Justin. That's right. This is the part of the podcast where we all get tired and we just say stuff that sounds like stuff. So (laughs) uh, Croaking toads? That's a Bucky O'Hare reference. That's right. Yeah. If we bring up Bucky O'Hare, usually Justin has to at some point say croaking some toads. So I just try to beat him to it. Toadies, possum kingdom. Uh, Let's do this. Uh, I thought the I loved having both the cats in this. I'm glad that we're kind of getting what? this. Uh, I I think it's a great, cool choice. And then I liked uh, the fun kind of last panel, couple of panels reveal. Uh, you know, you kind of hoped uh, this person would show up, so it was great to kind of see that. Uh, has a clean, fun art style. Enjoy it. Yeah, I've been really liking this title and the other Caps America book. Um, I think it's been great, and now that they just have sort of matched each other in the quality of the storytelling, so I like that they're cross- crossing over here. And the way we get uh, Bucky and Cap's son together, it almost makes me think Cap's son is going to go join the Bucky side. That's a predict. Mm. Whoa, bruh. Well, we'll have to see what happens. Meanwhile, we're going to move on to Local Man, number three from Image Comics, written by Tim Seeley and Tony Flex, art by Tony Fleeks. Um, I just pronounced his name two different ways. Anyway, <laughs> in, in this book, this is about a wild storm, uh, Gen 13, mm-hmm. Young Blood. That's what I was looking for. Young Blood. There it is. There it is. Youngblood-style hero is banned from being a hero and sent back to his hometown. He has become embroiled in a mystery that seems to be killing old villains. Things heat up considerably in this issue. I love the series. It's funny and making fun of 90s and 2000s tropes at the same time as it's telling a real mystery story with some real grounded emotions at the same time. Good stuff. I agree. I love this series. I think it's it's so smart. It's so well done. It reminds me a little bit of the um, landmark Hawkeye run, the Matt Fraction, David Asia run, like Ooh. where it's just like really great character stuff, uh, great art and um, stuff that really combines all these things to just make a great, well done comic. Yeah, I think that this is just like, you know, crazy tripped out shit. I mean, this is an, an intense issue. Um, and, uh, I just love the art style. It's very cool. The story is very cool and interesting. A lot of stuff happens and I want to keep reading. Daredevil number 10 from Marvel written by Chip Zdarsky art by Marco Cicchetto. And in this issue, the assembled Marvel heroes are taking time away from attacking the Punisher to go over and attack Daredevil for basically the same reason and basically the same heroes. Uh, and uh, by the end of the issue, Daredevil has made a pact with one of his greatest enemies to try to move forward. Some big things going down here. What do you guys think about this one? I think Daredevil needs – I want a four-issue arc of Daredevil just on vacation after this. I feel like <laughs> I'm sick of – sort of like with the X-Men. It's like I need – this guy needs a break, dude. I'm sure see, does, dude. I just want to see him shave his beard. He needs four oh, issues to do that. Wow. It's getting yeah. out of control, man. We could combine these arcs, like a shavecation where he just goes and shaves and by a pool mm-hmm. or something. Shavecation. I, no. <laughs> just coin that. Yeah, Manscaped. Uh, 
Yeah, I, just crazy cool issue. The art is super tight bananas. Sweet Electra and Daredevil moment at the end there. I love the uh, the action, the back and forth. The future book, though, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, that's kind of a weird, like, back to the future move where it's like, all right, let's just play some bets and see what happens. I don't I, know, man. I don't know. Uh, if that's I did the like same. the cover. Yeah, I did like the cover of the future book. It looked uh, looked intense, man. I do feel like I know I was joking about it before, but I do feel like I would be liking this a bit more if the exact same thing did not happen in Punisher like a week or two ago. Agreed. Yeah, that's why it feels like we're wallowing in this this whole Mm -hmm. thing a little bit, and I I need a breather for um, a lot of our characters. Last, we're going to talk about Vanish, number six from Image Comics, written by Donny Cates, art by Ryan Stegman. The last issue, we had one of our heroes, who is actually a villainous wizard, come and attack our Hermione character. There's a twist here, as our hero, who is actually kind of a villain, finally comes back to try to save her, only to find that she doesn't need any saving and she hasn't needed any saving all along. So they finally have a conversation, which is long overdue. What do you guys think about this issue? It sort of feels like a Christopher Nolan movie where it's just like there's a, it's a lot of heavy. It's like a little bleak. Like, And I don't know what the underlying sort of idea here is. Is it like Harry Potter, but everybody's fucked up uh, and sort of like his magic is like a bit of an addiction almost? And it messes up their lives, but they can't stop using it. Is that the metaphor here? So I, I, I got a little bit more clarity because we had the issue, last issue was the like, what's real, Moon Knight style, like what's real here. And he sort of pushed through that but didn't learn anything and is still just like desperately trying to figure out what his life is. Yeah, I mean, this shit gets serious in this issue. I mean, there's uh, I love the badass art style. It's very cool looking. You know, and then you got the classic thing where, like, a loved one's trying to get someone to give up, you know, uh, something that they're way too into. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, you got people turning into frogs. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I already talked about Croak and Toad, so I'm not going to make that joke again. But, man, uh, very you. style. Yeah, Thank you for you always like pursuing originality. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I feel like this is just kind of like a darker Harry Potter action kind of stuff, but uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm having a good time. The the main character, who is supposed to be our Harry Potter character, he's actually the Voldemort, right? Like, that's the twist that's coming down the road. It could be, but in a, like, a, a possessed, like, Horcrux situation, or no, just like, I think he just he is? hid away. Yeah, I think he just is, and he doesn't know it, and he's gathering the power. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, yeah. I've been reading this and I feel like this is the twist. So we need to get to the twist already in terms of what is going on here so we can move on with whatever the story is. But I will say that's nothing against, by the way, Donnie Cates, we like, but uh, Ryan Stegman's art is just classic 90s, 2000 image comics art. Yeah. I know we mentioned that a couple of issues ago with Local Bad, but I think he's channeling that really well. And in particular, I love this vertical power thing that happens with everybody's eyes. It's very cool looking. That's all. I agree. That's cool. 
That's it. If you like to support this podcast and that's all the it. podcasts we do, that's it. Patreon.com. No, we're that's done. It. We're done. That's, There's we're no done. More. It's just, we're out. That's it. That was the last that's podcast. It. That's it. Well, I guess it. if you want to support something, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, okay. we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Or do we? I guess we're done. Apple, Spotify, <laughs> Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the end of the show at mm-hmm. comic book live on Twitter, comic book club live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you crying in the comic book shop. And as I always say, as I always say, keep your ice holes cold and your bottoms nasty. (laughs) See you at the disco. (laughs) 